You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. How many of you like Chinese food? All right. I, I like Chinese food. Um, Nicole likes Chinese food. Nicole does not like Chinese restaurants. So we don't eat Chinese food very often. Nicole's the kind of person that once a, once a restaurant makes it on the news for being shut down by the health department, she's not going to go back to it. She's got a long memory when it comes to that. It seems to me in this area that people don't have a very long memory when it comes to restaurants. Because there, there was a Chinese restaurant here in town that was literally shut down by the health department. Like they closed them in the middle of the day. And they opened up after their probation period. I don't know how they determine what, you know, how, how they killed enough of the rats or whatever they did. But... It opened up, and it was full the very first day that it opened. And uh, I was just like, wow, you guys are very forgiving. You're a very forgiving culture when it comes to Chinese food. Um, But now there is a chain Chinese food restaurant in the area, and Nicole will eat there uh, because it's a chain. And so we have Chinese food in our lives again because that place is here. And so because now we have Chinese food in our life again, now I have fortune cookies in my life again. And I had kind of forgotten about fortune cookies because we hadn't had Chinese food in so long. And fortune cookies are hilarious to me because um, they they usually just mean absolutely nothing. Um, But sometimes people will open up the fortune cookie and it's like, whoa, that's so me, you know? But other times you open it and it's like, yeah, that's nonsense, and you just kind of cast it to the side, like no big deal. Uh, I googled some of the most bizarre fortune cookies, and I'll, I want to share them with you. I, I thought this one was a little scary. It says, you laugh now, but wait till you get home. <laughs> so I don't know if that was about the food or other. Um, I, uh, I, I, think, I felt like this one was really self-serving. S- you know, if you want to stay healthy, eat more Chinese food, like that. I don't think that. But this, I think, is probably the most honest fortune cookie fortune that I've ever seen. It says, you'll be hungry again in an hour. And that <laughs> is absolutely true. It's the most true fortune cookie I've ever seen. Um, but fortune cookies give us a little, little inspirational quote, a little piece of advice, or a little bit of positivity. And people see those and they'll often post them online or they'll post a picture or maybe they'll hold on to one that's especially meaningful uh, to them. But really, it's meaninglessness. And the other day, Nicole and I went uh, and we got fortune cookies and hers was empty. There was no fortune (laughs) inside of it. And later on, I got to thinking, well, that's really the case with all of them. Right? That the only difference between her cookie and mine is that she had less trash to throw away afterwards. I'm afraid that we treat the Bible a little bit like fortune cookies. I'm afraid that we treat the Bible as a collection of positive, inspirational quotes or statements. And that we get a verse, and this verse is going to help us through today. And I have this habit, I try to, on a regular basis, post an image of a verse of Scripture online. Because I feel like we could use some more of that on the internet, as opposed to what is filling the internet. But there's a little bit of me that, that fears that, I'm, that that's, the people are approaching, like, that's, that's my Bible reading for the day, is Pastor Daniel's image that he shared. 
Because God's Word is not meant to be just these one-liners, these inspirational quotes. The Bible is much more than a collection of inspirational quotes. It's much more than these little statements that give us encouragement. And what's dangerous about this is that oftentimes people will take a verse of Scripture and it has this meaning for them, but if they read the whole chapter, they'd see that that wasn't even what that verse was about. Right? One of the most familiar one of these is, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And that's on sports posters, right? And, and athletes write it on their eye black because they're going to win because God told them that they could win, right? Because they can do all things through Christ. But what Paul's talking about is that whether I'm in prison or I'm starving, I can do all things. I can handle all of those things through Christ. Not that I can accomplish all things, but that I can endure in all things as long as Christ is with me. And so if we approach the Bible as just this, these little quotes, these powerful phrases, we'll miss it. Because the truth is that the Bible is, is built upon layer and layer of truth. And that's the reason that the more we study God's Word, the deeper we go, the more profound it is to us. This past week in our community group, we were talking about how how when you read a passage of Scripture, you can come back to it later and read it again, and it, it kind of sticks out to you in a different way. And remember I, hearing Tim Keller talk about the fact that when he was a young Christian, somebody told him to take a familiar passage of Scripture and to, to read it, and then spend two minutes and write down everything that occurred to him from that passage. And when he had done that, they said, now, now spend another five minutes and write down what occurs to you about that passage. He did that. And then they said, now... Spend another 10 minutes. And he said, what was the most profound and impactful were the things that came to me the farther I went, the more time I spent considering and thinking on the Word of God. How is that possible? Because it's layer upon layer of truth. And there's no time that we dig into God's Word and we find it lacking or disappointing. So it's layer upon layer of truth. And this truth is not for a personal or private interpretation. Earlier we read that the prophecy of Scripture is not of any personal or private interpretation. In other words, that doesn't mean that, hey, what that Bible verse says to you is what it says to you, and what it says to me is what it says to me. No, it says what it says. Now the application to me and the application to you might be different. And so the Bible isn't for us to just get what it is that we need out of it in that moment. Rather, God's Word is to be appreciated or understood or or taught in the whole counsel of God's Word and then applied to our lives in a holistic way. And when I say the word holistic, what I mean is that all aspects of our lives should be impacted by the Word of God. God's Word is not just beneficial for your spiritual life. God's Word is not just beneficial for your relational life. God's Word is not just beneficial for your personal life or your emotional life. It is beneficial for every aspect of your life. There is nothing under the sun, there is nothing in your life that God's Word cannot come to bear on. And what I want us to see is that it's something that we should be seeking to grasp it wholeheartedly as a whole that all of God's Word should come to impact all of us. 
Now, our, our topic in this message, in this series about God's Word, is about application. And, and when I was kind of laying this out of how we were going to make our way through this series, I was like, yeah, a Sunday on application would be great. And now, as I've spent a week trying to prepare for this message, I'm like, a series on application would have been great. A month on application would have been great. There is so much that we could talk about this morning as it relates to application. So I'm going to try to kind of fit it in. All right? And don't worry, you're the 930 service, so we got to be out of here in time for the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> Y'all pray for the 11 o'clock service, okay? So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Now it's important for you to understand that the reason we have Deuteronomy is that when Moses comes to the end of his tenure and he's handing the mantle off to Joshua, he has led the people out of Egypt, he's led them through the wilderness, he's led them up to the promised land, and next they're going to go into the promised land under the leadership of Joseph, and Moses is not going to go with them. And so Moses is giving them his final instructions. This, the book of Deuteronomy is like his deathbed last instructions. And he says, take the whole word of God. All of these things I've told you, hold on to it so that you might go into the land, live in prosperity and peace and multiply and experience God's goodness in your life. That's the reason he's saying these things. Verse 2, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And that statement right there is one that Jesus quotes back to Satan in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan is tempting him. And he says, Jesus, you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Why don't you just turn the breads, the stones, into bread? Satan knew where to get him with the carbs, you know, the bread, you know. Hey, you can load up with some carbs right now. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then Moses goes on to talk about how when they were making their way through the desert, that their raiment never worn out, their, their clothes never wore out says that God has disciplined you, that he's raised you up like a father raises up his children. Verse 6, Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths, and springs out of valleys and hills. He tells them he's taken you into a wonderful place. He says, but be careful that when you get there, look at verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, 
And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. He says, don't you get in there and experience all that God has and then forget about what God has done for you. You stay near the God who led you through the wilderness, the God who has taken care of you. And he says, and if you don't, it's going to go bad for you. Now, here's why I wanted us to read at this particular point in, in the life of the Israelite people. God had rescued them from Egypt, had brought them through the wilderness up to the promised land, and they had said, no, God, we can't do it. We're not able to take over the people. And God said, all right, we're going to go back into the wilderness for 40 years and wander around, and you're going to learn some important lessons, and then I'm going to bring you back to the promised land, and Joshua is going to lead you there. And they're about to take this step in. And so God has freed them from bondage. He's taught them some important truths about believing on him. And now they're ready to come into this promised land. And God wants all of these wonderful things for them. And here's how that's similar to us. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have experienced freedom from the bondage of your sin. You have made, you've been made right in your standing before God. You've been made to be holy. You have the righteousness of Christ in you. And we refer to that as justification. It's just as if you never sinned. It's all of your sins have been wiped away. And that happens instantly. You are freed from sin and forgiven. You experienced instant justification. But then comes sanctification. And sanctification is the working out of this truth in all areas of my life. All aspects of my life are changed. And that happens over time. And so justification is instant. Sanctification is progressive. And if you're here and you've not experienced the sanctification, or you have not experienced the justification, you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God, there hasn't been a moment where you came to believe in Jesus, you haven't had that spiritual awakening, a lot of this is going to be foreign subject matter to you because you can't experience the progressive sanctification if you haven't had the instant justification. Some of you are here and you're, you're trying to experience God bring a difference in your life, experience change, but you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you. And like we talked about last week, God's word is foolishness to you. It doesn't make a lot of sense because you've never been saved. You've never been justified. You've never been freed from Egypt. You're still in Egypt. And God can't take you into the promised land. He can't give you all of these things that he wants to bless you with in your life because you're still in Egypt. God had freed these people from Egypt, freed them from their bondage, freed them from their slavery, and now they're on the border of the promised land. And Moses is saying, all right, here's what's going to happen. These are the things that are going to happen for you. Don't forget God's word. Stay close to God's word. See, think think about it this way. I I heard a preacher explain it this way, and it was helpful for me. I have two children, Lincoln and Haven, and they are my children. No matter what happens, they will always be my children. And if they grow up and they make really bad decisions, they'll still be my children. They'll still be my kids, and I will love them. But I don't want them to grow up and make horrible choices. I want them to grow up and make good choices. I want them to grow up and live a life that is more free than mine. 
I want them to grow up and not have the baggage that I've struggled with. I want them to experience greater peace and prosperity than I have. And I'm sure that every parent wants that for their children, and every grandparent wants that for their grandchildren, unless you're just incredibly emotionally unhealthy and you just want everybody in your life to be miserable. As a church... As a church, as a whole, corporately, that's what we desire too. We desire that we're, we're not just building the church our children will attend one day. We're building the church that our children will what? Lead one day. And we hope that they take our church to the next level. They take our church to a level where it, it makes a difference, a greater difference in their lives and in their families' lives for our grandchildren's sake and for this community's sake. That's our desire. And that's what God wants for the people of Israel. He wants as they go into the promised land to experience all of these blessings. So he's going to do great things for them. And God will do great things for us. God wants us to have these great things accomplished in us and through us. That's what he wants. And so he has made it possible for us to experience sanctification, for us to become more like him. Now, think back to, to, to my children, right? I don't want them to be like me. I want them to be better than me, right? There are moments that they're like me, and I'm like, why are you like this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because it's, it's my fault, because they're like me, right? I, I wish that they would be better than me. But God doesn't have that hang-up. The more that we become like God, the better that we are. The more, like, more, the more my children become like me, that might be good in a few areas, but in a lot of areas, that's going to be really bad. And so becoming more like Christ, becoming more like God, is all good. All good. And so when Moses says to them in verse 1, he says, the whole commandment I give you today, believe all of it, hold on to all of it. I want my kids to be kind of like me, but not completely like me. I don't want them to replicate all of my life. I don't want them to make the same mistakes that I made. I hope that they pick up some good qualities from me, and I'm going to do my best to shield my bad qualities or drive them out of me. Or Nicole's going to do her best to drive my bad qualities out of them. But when Moses tells the people, he doesn't have to say, hey, listen, here's a couple good things from God's Word that you really ought to hold on to. No, he says, All of it that I've given you. Every bit of it. Not just the little pithy statements. Not just the little inspirational things. Not just the things that are encouraging. But also the things that are hard. Every bit of it. And there's a temptation for us to only broadcast, only talk about the things in God's Word that are appealing or comfortable. No, all of it is good. Every bit of it. And if it's only what's positive or inspirational, or what's, it's as empty as a fortune cookie. And so if we take the whole commandment, the whole truth of God's word, it will make this profound difference in our lives. And before I jump into how we can experience application, transformation through application, I, I want you to think about something. Okay, every part of you needs to change. And that scares you. Because you think that if every part of you changes, then you're not, you're, you won't be yourself anymore. Earlier they sang, I want to be different. Every part of me gone. Replaced with pieces of you. Um, there's this, I'm going to get into some philosophy now on you, all right? So hang with me. There, there's this thought experience called the, the ship of theosis. Or theosis. And the, the ship of theosis is, 
it's, it's this idea that, that he had this great warship that he had, he had explored with, that he, he had done incredible things with. And, and philosophers said, okay, it's been taken and it's been put in harbor kind of as a, as a monument, almost in like a museum-type setting. And as it sat there all this time, parts of the ship have begun to rot. And so they've replaced boards of the ship. And then they've replaced more boards of the ship. And then they've replaced more boards of the ship. And the thought is, at what point is it still that same ship? If eventually, over time, one by one, all of the planks have been replaced. At some point, it's completely different, right? And that terrifies us that God's going to bring about this change, this such dramatic change in all of the little pieces of us that we're not going to be the same person anymore. And, and the, the kind of the, the response to this in our world, and our culture is, well, that's just how I am. That's, that's just how I am. Take it or leave it. Love me, warts and all. And friend, God loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And he wants to bring about this profound difference in you and change you. And if we think that God changing these pieces of us changes into something completely different, like the ship is completely different after plank by plank is changed. We don't understand who we are. Because you are not the, the, the skin and bones that I can see, and you are not the actions that you take, and you are not even the thoughts that you think or the emotions that you feel. You are the soul that inhabits all of that. And that lives forever. That's eternal. All of this is going to go away. Thank the Lord. All of this is going to go away one day. But my soul will carry on. I'm going to be given a new body in heaven. And I'm hoping that that one has much better metabolism <laughs> than this one. So I've talked to you about the ship of Theseus and philosophy. Now let me talk to you about the Pixar movie WALL-E, Okay. I know that I'm changing gears on you fast, all right? If you've ever seen this movie with your kids, Wally is this robot who he does all of this work on the earth cleaning up, but Wally has the ability to replace parts of himself that are broken. And so when he come, comes across a wheel that's in good shape, he can hold on to it, and then when his wheel is busted, he can switch it out. And throughout the movie, different pieces of him are changed. And just recently, Kyle Witten, who's a friend of mine, he used to live just down the street. He was the youth pastor at uh, Main Street uh, General Baptist in, in Boonville. He posted about watching this with his son, and he talks about how all throughout the movie, different pieces of Wally have been replaced, but at the end, his CPU itself is replaced. And typically, if, if you're working on a computer, you're not worried about that. But through the whole movie, you've developed this fondness for the character of Wally, and is he going to be the same? character. And he has his CPU replaced, and when he comes out, he's completely, he's completely upgraded all over. And through the help of his love interest, a robot's love interest in this story, he comes back to himself. And what that movie is speaking to, and this is what Kyle pointed out, what that movie is speaking to is that deep in us, we know that there's something deep in us, intrinsic in us, something that is deep in us, that is more than flesh and bones, that is meant for eternity, and that's the soul. And God wants to change all the other parts. God wants to change our hearts and minds. 
He wants to, he wants to bring about an incredible, top-down, thorough, complete, holistic transformation in our lives. But here is what's frustrating to me, okay? We know that God is capable of doing this, and we know that in His Word, He makes it possible for this to happen, and He gives us the truth, but we sit in church, and there's very little change happening. And, and, and I could talk at length about application this morning, but I'm just going to try to narrow it down to two things, because there are two main things that I have noticed when people don't experience transformation. It's because they keep things short, and they keep things superficial. We keep things short and we keep them superficial and that keeps us from experiencing the transformation of God in our lives. So how how do we combat that? To apply God's word, we need to go far in our life with God's word. Go far in our life with God's word. In verse 2, Moses said, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. God had brought the people up to the land and they didn't want to enter it. And he says, okay, let's take another lap. We're going to do 40 years and I'm going to raise up a whole generation. For 40 years, I'm going to raise up a whole new generation who knows that they can depend on me. Verse 3, he says, and God humbled you and he caused you to hunger in the wilderness and then fed you with manna and you didn't know what it was and your fathers didn't know what it was, but you knew that it was from God and that he had taken care of you. Why? That he might make you know that God does not li- that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There are some lessons that God wants to teach you, and it's going to take a lifetime to learn. There are some lessons that God wants to, to teach you, and it's going to take a long time for you to finally learn them. And if you just keep things short, you'll never learn them. If you just keep hopping from one thing to the next, you're not going to learn them. And if you ever notice someone who every couple to three, five years, they have a completely different circle of friends, it's because they're keeping things short with that group of friends. Because if they stay long with that group of friends, or they stay long with that church, or they stay long with that Bible study group, their problems will come to the surface, and they'll have to deal with them. But if they just keep moving on because they're the problem, they don't have to deal with them. Am I stepping on your toes yet? If we keep things short, we don't have to deal with our stuff. It's everybody else's fault. We can just keep moving on and moving on and moving on. What did, what did Moses tell them in verse 11? Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Moses said, now that you're in the promised land, now that you're headed in, don't you forget about it. Don't you forget about all the things that God has done over these last 40 years. Lest when you have gotten there and you've built these houses and your flocks multiply and your gold and your silver multiply, that your heart be lifted up. You know, we like to keep things short because we can constantly tell ourselves that we're doing good and everybody else is the problem. He says, don't you get in there and think that you've got all these houses because you built them. You didn't build them. God gave them to you. Don't you get in there and think that look at all of these incredible vineyards that we've planted and look how much gold and silver we have. God gave you all of that. It's only possible because of the Lord. 
you know it's frustrating as a pastor. There will be times that someone will, will come to experience the power of God's word in their life, and, and, and their life gets better because that's how this works. Their life gets better. Their marriage gets better. Um, they, they start to experience some financial freedom. They're not living paycheck to paycheck all the time. And then suddenly, they don't need us anymore. They don't need the Lord anymore. They were here when they were desperate. They were coming to God when they were desperate because they were broken and something had to change. But then once their life got put together a little bit, I think I've got this figured out. And if you only learn the lessons that, that, that can be learned in a week or a month or a year, you're going to miss out on a lifetime of lessons that God wants to teach you. You know, I ask my kids at the dinner table every night, what did you learn in school today? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Lincoln, what did you learn today? Nothing. And I know that he learned something. And I can see the changes that are happening in him. I can see the difference that is, that's taking place. And he might not realize that incrementally, day by day, he's learning his phonics and he's learning how to read. And at some point, he's going to be able to read on his own. He doesn't see it happening, David, but I can see it. And how crazy would it be for him in the sixth grade to go, I don't need school. School hasn't taught me anything. People who never experience transformation, keep it short and they keep it superficial. If you want to apply scripture in your life, go far with God's word in your life and go deep with God's word in your life. Now let's look over at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 is actually talking about the people at this point, at this juncture, when they have gone from being in the wilderness and they're about to enter into the rest, the promised land of God. He's talking about that throughout chapter 4. And then he says, he's talking about how Moses was telling them, don't forget. And then he says in verse 11, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know what God's Word just told us? God's Word told us that it can cut to the very quick of our hearts and get down to where we really live. And what we do is we keep things surface level and superficial. That's the reason that anytime time asks us how we're doing, we say, great! Like just had a knockdown, drag out fight with your spouse, hating your life right now, want to quit your job. How are you doing? Great! Keeping things superficial. What's going on? Just, you know, just really busy. Just really busy right now. Got a lot of things going on. Oh, things, really. We have a lot of things going on, too. We just keep everything superficial. What's been God been doing? He's just really been blessing us. Been really blessed. How, how's he been doing that? You know, he's just been good. Just been good. We just keep everything surface level, superficial. 
And God's Word wants to get down to where we're living, down into the, the mess of our hearts. You know what Jesus did when He came? He got down in the very mess of this world. He didn't keep it superficial. He didn't just show up at temple. You, you know what I realized the other day? I realized that church was the first social media. Church was the first social media. Because on social media, we can make life look awesome when it's not. And that's what we used to do on Sundays, right? Like, just miserable, fighting, frustrated, broke. But we walked in the church like, man, everything is good. God is good. I am blessed. Looking sharp for this hour. And it's just a tip of the iceberg of what's really happening in our lives. And social media does that now. That's what we use social media for. God wants to get down to your heart. There's this couple, um, I forget their names, but they're historians, and they spent decades compiling a history of society, a history of culture, a history of the world. And the book took 11 volumes. It was millions of words, 8,800 pages. And then, after writing all of that, they had to distill it down into a 100-page summary on lessons from the history of the world. And this is what they found, that the changes that happen in culture aren't so much dependent upon what we know, but upon how we think. On how we think. Cultures that knew far less than us, but had an approach to thinking that was open, made much more progress than cultures that knew a lot more, but did not have an approach. And what God wants to do is He wants to get down to the very quick and marrow of our hearts and lives, to get down to the intents and thoughts of our hearts. You know what they found? They found that the approach to life or the thinking or how we think changes everything. And, and here's what you need to know, okay? Our actions are based on how we think. And how we think is based on what we believe. And God doesn't just want to change your actions. He wants to change your thinking. And the way that he changes your thinking is changing your beliefs. What was Moses' fear for the people? That they would get into the land and they would forget what God had done. He wanted their thinking to stay focused on God. So how did he prepare them for that? He spent 40 years teaching them to believe. He spent 40 years teaching them to believe that he could provide them with what they needed. In the most basic of ways, with what they ate every day, their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, He was teaching them to believe. And the application of that lesson learned over the course of decades went deep into their hearts. And when they came into the promised land, they were able to overcome great obstacles and odds because they believed. And their actions reflect the way that they thought and their thought reflected the way that they believed or what they believed. God God wants to change your whole life, every piece of you, to make it different. And he does that by getting down to your heart.
to the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word can cut that deep. Let's not keep it surface level. It wants to go to the very quick of who we are, the very depth of our souls. If we're going to experience transformation, we need to go long with God's word in our life, and we need to go deep with God's word in our life. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer?